Welcome back to the John Clay Podcast. I'm John Clay, sports columnist with the Lexington Leader and Kentucky.com. On today's podcast, we're going to talk a little UK basketball recruiting. Got some big news coming up on Saturday when Reed Shepard makes his announcement, uh, his commitment of where he wants to play college basketball. And we'll be talking about that and more with Ben Roberts, the UK recruiting writer for the Herald Leader and Kentucky.com, a friend of the podcast and a very popular guest on the podcast. Before we get to Ben, though, I want to remind you, you can get a Sports Pass, sports-only digital subscription to Kentucky.com. It's just $30 for the first year. You get all of our sports coverage, all of our UK recruiting coverage with Ben, UK basketball with Jerry Tipton, UK football with Josh Moore, columns by Mark Story and myself. You get all of our uh, horse racing high school coverage with Jerry Peck, $30 for the first year. You can follow me on Twitter at John Clay IV, and at the top of my feed, the pin tweet, you'll see all the information about the Sports Pass, sports-only digital subscription. Click on that. It'll take you where you need to go, or go to Kentucky.com, hit on the subscription tab there, and check out all the offers for either the print edition of the Herald Leader or digitally on Kentucky.com. We appreciate everybody who supports our work at both Kentucky.com and the Lexington Herald Leader. Appreciate everybody who supports this podcast, which you can find on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio Podcasts. Leave a rating and review. That just helps gets the word out. We appreciate everybody who has done that, and we really appreciate Ben Roberts. So let's get right to my conversation with Ben Roberts about UK basketball recruiting. Okay, my guest on the podcast now is Ben Roberts, UK basketball recruiting writer for the Herald Leader and Kentucky.com. How's it going, Ben? Good, John. How are you? I am good. Uh, Plenty to talk about. It's been a while since we have talked to you last for the podcast, but uh, with Kentucky uh, recruiting, there's always things to talk about. Uh, Let's start. uh, Well, first of all, signing day has has signing. Well, the signing period has started, right? Is that right? Yeah, it actually ends. Wednesday tomorrow. Oh, okay. uh, so yeah, it's just a one week for the for the early period. For the early period. Okay. Yeah, we're recording on uh, on Tuesday afternoon here. Let's start with Shaden Sharp, uh, who was the number one player. He Kentucky came in was the number one player uh, when they reshuffled the rankings. Is he no longer number one? But or he is number one in some services. Where where does that stand? Yeah, twenty four seven sports. Um, you know, Shaden, as we had kind of expected by the time he announced it, uh, is gonna is gonna enroll early at Kentucky and, and join the team at the semester break, um, and, and actually be part of the roster uh, for for the second half of this coming season. So, and knowing that he plans to do that, twenty four seven Sports went ahead and and moved him into their back into their twenty one rankings, and they they slotted him right behind Chet Holmgren and and. Uh, Paulo Banchero, Banchero in the the number three spot, but Rivals and I believe still ESPN still has him as twenty two. Uh, Rivals has indicated they're also going to move him back into twenty one once he actually enrolls. I guess I don't know what ESPN is going to be. It's kind of thrown off the whole ranking system for everybody. Uh, you know, I, there was the stat of Kentucky, fi- you know, finally getting the number one recruit for the first time in a decade. And obviously it throws off the class rankings because Kentucky had the number one recruiting class. But when, when 24-7 moved them, they moved down to, I think, number eight right now. Um, so, yeah, the, those who like to look at the statistics and the numbers of this kind of stuff, it's going to it's gonna kind of mess it up for, <laughs> for, uh, for uh, moving forward. Um, but, yeah, he's he's. 
he's the number one. And if he does follow through and, and um, not actually play for Kentucky this coming season, um, I mean, he's the de facto number one recruit to start the 22-23 season. So that doesn't really change. Uh, but yeah, it's just kind of, it's kind of kind of made made everything a, a little a little different as far as the rankings go. What what are why is he why is he rolling early? What what what's the thinking behind that? Why does he want to go ahead and do that? Um, you know, I he's he's matured and and developed at such a steady rate over the past year year and a half um, that his game from I mean it's it's night and day from from last year at this time to right now. Uh, he, by all accounts, was the, was the best prospect on the Nike circuit, which is the top circuit in the summer uh, this past summer. And then he, you know, he started. It sounded like with his high school team and some people who saw what was going on and 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 were there and and kind of heard the feedback. Uh, kind of made it sound like it was just almost a joke him going up against high school competition at at this stage in his development that. They, he didn't think, they didn't think that there was really much more to gain development wise, um, from him playing, uh, even though it was going to be a, a really, really competitive schedule with, with his high school team, uh, just not a whole lot to be gained, uh, from him and, and his, his further development as a basketball player. So the decision was made, you know, he had the credits, he, he had a route where he could, he could graduate early. Um, so I think everybody just kind of got together and, Decided it would be better for him if he came to Kentucky and got to practice against guys like Kellen Grady and Ty Ty and Severe Wheeler and, and Davion Mintz um, for a, for a full semester, and also obviously get the coaching from John Calipari and, and his his staff at Kentucky and just get more acclimated to, to college life. You know, this is a kid who. You know, you think a lot of people think of these recruits as, as um, you know, just pieces of a class, that, you know, that kind of thing. But this is a kid who moved away from his parents, moved away from home just two years ago. And and I know he did kind of have a it sounded like a tough transition into into his first year in the United States. Didn't play a whole lot of basketball, uh, believe it or not, his first season um, at, a, at, a, at a U.S. high school. Obviously got acclimated very well <laughs> and, and turned into what he's become. So I think everybody who's kind of seen that, um, you know, they just kind of wanted to get them here early, get them acclimated, and then 22-23 season, you can you can hit the ground running and and be the the number one player in college basketball as everybody's hope. It sounds like. Yeah, and for people who haven't kept up with Shaden Sharp, he's from Canada, correct? Originally. Yeah, yeah, London, Ontario. Um, his parents are still there. You see a lot of cases, especially with kids who move to these prep schools, that that their parents and their family will move with them, and they'll they'll have that support system around them. But he he moved to Kansas as a as a high school sophomore, um, you know, it, it, on his own, and and uh, you know that he moved to a great high school with a with a with a great support system and a, and a long history of of turning out really good players. Uh, but that, you know, that's, that's a tough, that's tough for any, you know, you're 15 years old and, and you're doing that. I can't imagine, uh, you know, going through that, no matter, um, w- what kind of support system from, from strangers you have when you get there. So yeah, I, I, uh, I think it's just kind of a matter of, of getting, getting comfortable at Kentucky and, and also the basketball side of it, just thinking that's a, a much better way to, to, to develop him. And, you know, his mentor, Dwayne Washington is, is the guy who, 
had a similar role in Shea Gilgis Alexander's uh, career, and Shea kind of made a similar move. He he moved down to Tennessee from Canada, went through the same steps, and and I think Dwayne saw how well Shea did under Cal and just kind of the the whole Kentucky system and getting to go in the craft center whenever you want to and having the support from the coaches and and all that and and decided that uh, this would be the best route for Shaden too. So is this similar to what Hamadou Diallo did? It's similar. It'll be similar in the sense of when they enroll. um, But the biggest question, and I think the one that Kentucky fans were – I, that when it first came out, there was that initial surprise, I think, among a lot of Kentucky fans. And then, and then I think there was some excitement. And then I think people realized, wait, you know, Hamadou Diallo did this and declared for the draft and apparently almost went to the draft without ever playing at Kentucky. Can Shaden do that? And the difference there is that Hamadou graduated. He actually graduated early. Uh, or, or He graduated from his high school and then was going to play a post-grad year and then come to Kentucky and decided early in that post-grad year that, that, you know, he wasn't really getting anything from being at the high school level and made the move. So he was eligible for the NBA draft because he had graduated so much earlier. Sharp, by any real literal reading of the rule, would not be eligible. Um, his mentors told me they don't think he's eligible and they're not even thinking about that. And I think – by the way, the rule is written. I, I think you'd need, you know, some pretty good lawyers to make a pretty good argument, uh, or, or the NBA to just back down to, to let him in the draft. So, I, I, I think just from my dealings with all of them and in the past, I, I think you, you, I know there's always a level of skepticism in recruiting, but I think it's pretty safe to take everybody at their word here, and and that that Shaden Sharp will be on Kentucky's roster for the 22-23 season, no matter what happens this season. I can't skepticism in recruiting. <laughs> oh, I can't believe you would say such a thing. Okay, uh, the expectation is he will not play this year, right? Uh, could that change? Uh-huh. And yeah. CJ Frederick not being look like he's going to be out for the year, uh, undergoing hamstring surgery. That sort of freeze up a spot i would think so could that change or do you think they're pretty pretty uh you know rock solid that he's not going to play this year i I certainly wouldn't call it rock solid um and it sounds like yeah i mean it sounds like they're open to it too i you know and i don't people have brought up cj i don't know how big of a difference that's really going to make um because I, you know, I think at this point, you know, you still look at that roster, and you've got Severe, you've got Ty Ty, you have Davion Minson, you got you got Kellen Grady all at the guard spots, and you have Dante right. Allen. Um, so I think if Shaden were to come in, uh, barring you know another injury of of any of any kind, from at least you know we've watched two games so far, but from the first two games, it looks like he'd be taking. Davion Mintz's minutes like there's there's already there already weren't going to be enough minutes to go around if CJ Frederick had been completely healthy um at the start of the season and you can't it's clear you can't take Oscar off the court as long as he's not in foul trouble and you it's becoming clear that that Damian Collins needs to play and then you've got Keon Brooks you've got Jacob Toppin I mean this is there aren't a lot of minutes to go around so I you know I think the only way this happens to where he would play and there's always a possibility of this is that if, if Cal gets to February, 
gets maybe even to early March and he's looking at Shaden Sharp in practice and this kid is already could be one of the best players in basket college basketball. And also his current team is maybe struggling through the SEC schedule or something isn't clicking. Uh, maybe you throw him in there for the stretch run and, and just see what happens. I mean, you know, it doesn't losing a year of eligibility is not going to matter for Shaden Sharp. He's going to be a top three pick in the 2023 draft, no matter what. So that's not, that's not going to be an issue. It's just going to be, do you, you don't, you don't want to hinder his development in any way. And I know a big part of him coming to Kentucky in, in the first place, not even enrolling early was that them seeing Kentucky as the best way for him to develop over time to get to where he needed to be. Uh, in the NBA draft. So you don't want to throw them in too early and, and throw that off at an early stage. And if your team's doing well, you also don't want to mess up that chemistry, especially when you already have so many, you got three guards who are proven at the, at the, at the D one level. And then another freshman guard who, who could be a lottery pick. So there's just not a whole lot of room there, but if, if Cal gets in a situation where he thinks Shaden Sharp's a better answer than, than Davion Mance or Kellen Grady or, or whoever. Um, I, it certainly wouldn't surprise me the, the way the way things are headed, but I, I think a lot would have to happen. Okay, so before we get to the big upcoming news, as you said, tomorrow is the end of si- the early signing period. What what does that what does that look? Like? What does this, this signing period look like for Kentucky? Uh, well, I mean, catch it's, people you up know, on that. Yeah, if you if you keep Shaden Sharp in that twenty two class as far as the rankings go, Kentucky has the number one class in America, and even taking them out, they've got Kaysen Wallace, Chris Livingston, who are both top ten recruits, and then uh, Sky Clark, who's been committed for over a year now, who's a who's a top twenty recruit, and these are guys that all four of these guys can play on the perimeter, um, three are guards, and then Livingston's more of just a a bigger athletic wing. Uh, who could who could play more of a small ball four if he needed to? He's really tough, really athletic, uh, but also can really play on the perimeter and, and make stuff happen out there. So, you know, kind of what we're seeing with this team with these four guys, you've got a lot of interchangeability. Um, you know, Sky I think's better with the ball in his hands, uh, but he's a good enough shooter that you could play him off the ball. Kaysen is is. Um, usually plays with the ball in his hands, but he's also played off the ball for both his high school team and, and his Nike League team and another good shooter. Shaden, I, I think you can just do whatever you want with offensively and he's going to make a difference. And then Chris Livingston can play inside or out. Um, and all of these guys, or at least, um, you know, guys more of a point guard, but 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 Livingston, Wallace, and Sharp are, are really good rebounders for their position. So if Cal wanted to play a lineup where it's these four guys or maybe these three and another guard to have Chris Livingston as your second biggest player on the court. I think he could do that just because there's a lot of length, a lot of, uh, a lot of defensive ability and a lot of rebounding ability there. Um, so this, you know, coming off the nine and 16 season and the staff shakeup and, and just a lot of uncertainty in general, um, you know, they could have gotten Derek Lively. They could have gotten a Dembona, but, as far as realistic expectations go, this was a very, very, very good class, even by Kentucky's and, and John Calipari standards. Okay. Um, before we talk, we're going to take a brief break here. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about Reed Shepard. Okay. Back here with uh, Ben Roberts, UK basketball recruiting writer for the Herald Leader and Kentucky.com. Be sure to follow Ben on Twitter at Ben Roberts HL. 
Ben, uh, big big news coming on Saturday morning, uh, Reed Shepard. Are we surprised that he's going to make the announcement this early? Um, yeah, yes and no, I guess. I mean, obviously he still has two more years of high school basketball to go, but at the same time, um, as his coach, high school coach pointed out to me yesterday when we were talking, uh, he's, he's been diligent with his recruitment. Uh, you know, even though players couldn't take visits until June, uh, of this past summer, and even though coaches couldn't get out there until June and July to, to see players in person, uh, Reed picked up a bunch of scholarship offers over that time, and he has taken several uh, college visits to several different schools that have offered, and coaches have come down to see him at, at North Laurel High School um, since they were able to start doing that in, in September. So he's had a lot of meetings. He's had a lot of phone calls and Zoom calls and stuff before that. And he's been on a lot of campuses with his family and, and really taken a meticulous early approach to uh, to what he wants and, and what the best fit's going to be. Um, and then obviously, you know, <laughs> a kid in his situation, he's well aware of Kentucky basketball and has been his whole life uh, and has been around Kentucky basketball his whole life. I know we've got a picture in the archives of him when he was, looked like he was about seven or eight years old, sitting next to to uh, to Jeff with John Calipari, and, and when when he first got here, so uh, he's a kid who grew up as part of Kentucky basketball, obviously due to his family and, and due to his proximity to, to Lexington and the program. So, uh, if Kentucky is indeed the pick, then I think that's one of those cases where, yeah, you don't you don't commit right away. Right when you know you get the call from John Calipari in July, you take some time to think about it. Uh, but it, it, if that is indeed the pick, it, it makes it makes a lot of sense just to get it out of the way and stop having to take calls from other coaches that you know you're probably not going to go to their schools and waste their time and and just kind of move on mentally uh, with with your high school career and, and getting ready for college. Right, but we don't know who the pick what what school we don't know for sure what school he's going to pick. Right. We don't know. Yeah, we don't know for sure. Uh, it'll happen at at the high school at nine a.m. Um, Saturday morning, and he's actually just put out a tweet a little bit ago inviting everybody to show up. Uh, I wonder if he if he <laughs> if he passed that with the school officials and his team because <laughs> that could be standing remotely in the parking lot. Right. Uh, they, be they careful with crowd control. Yeah. yeah, they might need some crowd control with that one. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, and and the, you know, this isn't. At least the way I saw it and the way a lot of people, I think, saw it in, in recruiting circles is this wasn't really a done deal when Calipari made that call in, in July. I, I think he and his family, uh, despite their obvious UK ties, uh, were going to be very open-minded about the process. And they were very interested and are very interested, I'm sure, in, in a lot of these other schools. Virginia was a program that was in on him early and uh, and they've taken visits to and um, I know, at least from talking to others, that that, that was a school that that a lot of people thought might have a chance to actually knock off Kentucky, despite the despite the UK ties. Um, Louisville has recruited him very hard. He's visited Indiana, Ohio State. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of schools that I think would be really good fits for him um, have have really made a run at his recruitment. You know, obviously knowing full well who his parents are and 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 all of those ties and still thinking they had a chance. So, um, yeah, I, you know, it, it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a slam dunk for Kentucky and obviously still isn't cause we, they're, they're keeping tight lipped over there and, and we don't know what he's going to do. Um, but at least 
Tuesday at 1.24 p.m., I think the expectation for most people is is that Kentucky uh, remains the team to beat. Yeah, it would seem – It just, I mean, thinking about it without knowing for sure, that, well, why would you announce before the season started if you were not going to Kentucky? Because chances are you're going to take some abuse. <laughs> yeah, people are not going to like it, but uh, we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. We've talked about this before, but I think it deserves mention again. Uh, I mean, he had a good summer, right? He he probably helped his standing from the way he played on the circuit this summer, correct? Yeah, there's no question. I mean, going into the summer, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but you know, he wasn't he wasn't even ranked by anybody until late in the high school season, and, and a big part of that was not only could coaches not get out and see kids, but uh, recruiting analysts. You know, it, it was tough to travel the country under the under the circumstances, and. Um, you know, Reed wasn't playing a national schedule. He, he, he was, he was playing against other Kentucky competition. There's not a whole lot of, uh, recruiting analysts who have a say in the rankings that, that are based in Kentucky. Uh, and so not very many people, uh, from a national perspective saw him play basketball in person until, you know, February or March of this year. And those who did really liked his game and, and moved him into that top 100, but it was still, they still wanted to see him do it against national competition. Um, and that's what they got to see starting in April, May. And then in July, the run that he went on with his team, I was down there in Alabama and got to see him play in a lot of high profile games, uh, including the first game that John Calipari saw him play in person. Uh, and it was clear. I mean, as somebody who's watched a lot of AAU basketball, a lot of high school basketball over the last decade, um, you know, you know, you know who's who's going to translate to the college level and who's going to be really good. And, and Reed Shepard uh, checks those boxes. He's he's just a he's just a great all around guard and and a guy who um, you know as he continues to develop his game, I think can be a star at, at the college level. I, you know, I think a lot of people on the outside who maybe haven't followed this as closely know you know who his parents are and know the situation and and think oh you know maybe Kentucky's kind of taking them because they feel like they have to take him or because the the circumstances are right. And if he had a different last name, he wouldn't be coming to Kentucky or wouldn't be recruited by Kentucky. And that's completely false. I mean, this is a kid who I think any college coach in the country goes and watches and, and wants, wants him on their team. And, and if he had a different last name, he would probably have scholarship offers from about a hundred different schools because they would think they'd have a much better chance at pulling away from Kentucky and, and might take a might take a bigger chance on him, but uh, now he's 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 really good. He had a great summer, um, and I think he's a guy who, you know, two more years of high school basketball ahead of him. So there's still there's still areas that he, that he can improve on even more before he gets to college. And and I think uh, you know we don't know what the roster situation is going to look like, but but when he gets to Kentucky or wherever he goes, he's going to be a kid who who has the ability to make an immediate splash. Okay, since we are looking ahead, let, let, let's talk now about the 2023 class. Uh, what what can we expect? What, what do you think Cal will be looking for in that class? Uh, just just talk about that. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty amazing. Uh, you know, usually at this stage in a cycle, we're, we're still kind of, you know, we're usually still trying to figure out who's going where in the 22 class and, and the senior class. And that has been decided. Um, I don't, you know, I, I think they're going to probably need another big man for next season, but I, I, it seems like that's going to come from a, a transfer route if it happens or, may, or uh, you know, I don't really see 
any big reclass possibilities. So I think it will be the transfer portal, which we won't know about for months. But that, not to not, you, but that's really changed things, hasn't it? As we talk about the upcoming classes, because you know we saw such a you know influx of transfers, not just to Kentucky but all over the place, and I, that's just going to continue, don't you think? And it's going to me- yeah. I'm, I, I guess mess with is not the right word, but coaches are going to have to adjust their recruiting because of that. Yeah, they're going to have to, and I think if you're in a spot like Kentucky, I think it puts you at a at a great advantage, as, as we saw this past offseason when they were able to bring in Oscar came in the winter, obviously, but they altogether they were able to bring in four guys who you know I would guess any team in the country would want any of those four guys on their team, and they were able to do it all in one offseason. And in Kentucky's position, you know. Five years ago, if you're recruiting like this and you lose Derek Lively to Duke and then Bona to UCLA and you're looking at next season, you're thinking, well, you know, are we going to have to play Chris Livingston at, at the five? Is Lance Ware going to be the starting five? Even if we don't know how he's developing, you know, what are we going to do here? Because there's nobody else in this this recruiting class that can come in and, and play 25 minutes right away at that spot. Now, you know, you don't want to lose Derek Lively. I mean, he could be the number one pick in the 23 draft. But you've lost them, you move on, you play your season, and then you keep tabs on who who's looking good, who might want to transfer. And you get to March, April, and there's gonna be a handful of guys who should who you should be able to plug in and play, you would think. And you know, the other thing, as we've seen with this past uh off season, is there are gonna be guys who maybe aren't thinking about transferring during the season. Um, and then they see, oh, this Kentucky team might be the national championship favorite if they have a big man and I'm a really good big man. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I right. might want to do that. Uh, so, uh, and, and knowing that you can do that and be eligible right away is really going to change a lot of things. And, you know, I'm sure they were, upset that they lost Derek Lively and that they couldn't get Bona and kind of get that wrapped up right away. But at the same time, it does free you up to, if there, if there's a, a player of the caliber of Oscar or the player of the caliber of Kofi Coburn that you think you can get in, in March or April, um, you know, it, it could be something really special. Okay. Well, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go. What about 2023? How far along are they on looking at prospects or even hosting prospects for that? Yeah, I mean that's the thing is that not only is there is is this twenty two class wrapped up now. I mean, for other than Bona, for all intents and purposes, it was wrapped up two or three months ago, and that includes Casey Wallace, who you know I think everybody already assumed was committing to Kentucky, even though we just did it a couple weeks ago. Uh, I think that was pretty much locked up in in September. Uh, so what that has allowed Kentucky to do is instead of concentrating all of your efforts on you know, shoring up that senior class and making sure those guys are in the fold. They just moved on to 23 uh, without skipping a beat. And, you know, usually uh, Big Blue Madness is a great example of what happened. Usually that is where you're hosting one or two or in some cases five uncommitted seniors that you're trying to make a big impression on to, uh, you know, a month, a few weeks before the signing period. They didn't have any seniors on campus for Big Blue Madness. Um, uh, well, Sky Clark, but uh, but uh, any any uncommitteds, uh, and they were able to bring uh, DJ Wagner, Mackenzie Mbako, and Reed Shepard to, 
to to campus. Uh, Wagner, the number one player in the country, number one junior in the country, and Baco, the number three junior in the country. And then we've talked about Reed Shepard. And then over the next every week for like six weeks, they brought another one or two top 10, top 15 recruits in that junior class for official visits. And instead of, you know, having six guys on campus at once or having the juniors kind of being second fiddle to the seniors and not spending much time with them on, on the big weekends, they were able to, to sit down and, and have real face-to-face early time with, with these guys. And so now we're here November 16th and they've hosted the top five juniors in the class for official visits. They've hosted the number eight junior in the class for an official visit. And they have the number uh, 11 or 12 junior in the class coming this weekend for an official visit. And they've had Reed Shepard on campus twice uh, for, for kind of extended unofficial visits. So uh, I can't remember um, not only Kentucky, I can't remember any program doing anything like that at this stage in a recruiting cycle. And it would be incredibly rare even to get all five of the top, players in the class on campus at any stage in any recruiting cycle, you know, whether they're juniors, seniors, whatever. Uh, so this is, it's pretty unprecedented what they've been able to do from a visit perspective and then just kind of asking around and, and kind of reading the tea leaves. Um, it's kind of shaping up like the expectation, not even the hope among, uh, you know, from Kentucky's standpoint, but the expectation is that that 23 class is going to be better than the 22 class, which is the best in the country. Because uh, you've got, you know, they. I, th- I think the assumption is the Reed Shepard commits on Saturday. Uh, if DJ Wagner goes to college instead of going pro, um, I think everybody thinks he's coming to Kentucky. So that's the number one recruit. Uh, Justin Edwards, who's coming this weekend, if he gets an offer from Kentucky, I think they're clearly the team to beat. And that's the top 15 recruit. Robert Dillingham is a point guard from North Carolina who um, – I actually expected to be committed last week. Uh, he's the number eight player in the, in the class. Um, and I think Kentucky still, still leads there. Uh, I'm not sure actually why that hasn't happened yet, but I, I think it could be coming soon. And, and then there's three or four wings and any one of them, I, I think they're going to get at least one of those guys and they're all top five players. So, you know, add that all up and you're looking at four or five top 15, top 20 players and, and three or four in the top 10. And, and that's not, that's not like some pie in the sky prediction. That's, I think that's the expectation at this point. What about, okay. Uh, for those who don't know, DJ Wagner is the grandson of Milt Wagner, uh, the great Louisville guard back in the day was on the Louisville uh, national championship team in 86. He's also the son of Dewan Wagner who played for Cal at Memphis. Correct. Is that what gives Cal the inside shot? And what, what uh, do we, I mean, I guess it's too early to tell is the feeling on Wagner that he, he's seriously considering college or is he going to be a G league or overtime elite or one of those types of guys? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, from from talking to everybody, I think he's very very seriously considering college and and um, with NIL now we saw this with Chris Livingston. We're going to see it moving forward. I mean, DJ Wagner coming to a place like Kentucky, especially if if that roster looks like what we think it's going to look like. I mean, you're talking about the number one recruit. I mean, it's a John Wall almost situation, uh, and and DJ seems like a, a really outgoing. Uh, kid as well like you're talking about the number one recruit on what could be the number one team in the country at Kentucky uh, that uh, I think there's a good chance he could make more in NIL money over the course of nine months than, than even the G League would pay him 
And then when you talk about the family ties of, you know, not only did DeWan play for, for John Calipari, but I mean, that was kind of the original one and done uh, down in right. Memphis. Uh, and, and with what happened in DeWan's pro career and, yeah, that was kind of the first example of Calipari saying, you're not coming back. Uh, you know, you need to go pro and you need to, to, to get your money right now. And, and uh, I'm not going to let you, you know, I'm sure you want to let him come back, but I'm not going to let you come back because it's in your best interest to go. And then, so obviously he went, he was a lottery pick and then he had the, the medical issue that, that, that cut short his career. And, and he said numerous times in the past that he looks back on that and, um, you know, if he had stayed in school, if he hadn't done that, you know, how is his life different? But instead, he got to make that NBA salary uh, for a little while before it happened. And I, th- they've remained incredibly close. Uh, Milt Wagner um, was on Calipari's staff in Memphis, was on, right. uh, you, you know, he, he's, you know, he's also close to, to the Calipari family. And then obviously DJ, uh, Cal, I'm sure has known him since he was born and, and has obviously followed his career very, very closely from a, from a young age, uh, from a basketball perspective. So, yeah, I mean, this is, it would be, I don't, it, w- it obviously wouldn't surprise anybody if he went to the G league or, or one of these other pro options, but if he, if DJ played college basketball and John Calipari is the coach of Kentucky and he goes somewhere other than Kentucky, that would be a major, major shock to a lot of people in recruiting circles. And, and I think, I think with NIL, I I would I would put the odds in Kentucky's favor that that he does play college basketball. Yeah, well, you know the funny thing, and and we'll talk about this current team here in just a second. But you know, watching the Kentucky Duke game at the Champions Classic, Jerry Tipton was up in New York. I was back here at home monitoring at uh, my uh, at the home office here. Uh, you know, obviously Duke won the game. I thought Kentucky played okay in that game. Duke won the game, and obviously Bancaro and and uh, the uh, Keels, the other freshmen, are really good. But when they kept showing the crowd. I mean, in all the NBA players in the crowd, you know, you had, they were all pretty much Kentucky guys, except for RJ Barrett. Uh, of course, now, obviously, there's a lot of Kentucky guys on the Knicks. So they were there in New York. But if you're watching that, you're thinking, boy, that's a lot of Kentucky guys <laughs> who are in the NBA uh, who are there at that game. So I would think that would make an impression on those guys as well. Um, Let's talk about the current team. Now, as I said, we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. Kentucky has a game tonight against Mount St. Mary's. Uh, so we're recording this before that. But just after, after the first two, the two exhibition games and now the first two real games, what, what are your thoughts on this team? Yeah, I mean, I, it's I, I the Duke game, obviously they lost, as you said, and then there were some holes there. But I, I thought in a lot of regards it was a – a encouraging effort uh, from Kentucky. And I, I think, and I know a lot of us have tried to write about it that, I, you know, I think that a lot of people thought or maybe thought that just because there was a lot more experience on this team, they should be a whole lot better right out of the gate, but it's, it's still all new players that you're throwing together on one team. And then they have to figure out how to play uh, with one another, even, even with the full preseason like they had. So I think it was always going to be kind of a, a work in progress in the beginning stages of the season. And then, you know, I, you know, I thought the way they played, um, against Robert Morris, I mean, that, that uh, the biggest takeaway for me from a team perspective is I, I think you, we, we all heard a lot of complaints over the past, not just last year, but even the, the, the previous seasons that, um, 
people who never missed a minute of Kentucky basketball over the over how their life said they just didn't want to watch the non-conference guys or they couldn't watch them against these smaller teams or they were just too hard to watch in general. Um, and the way they played against Robert Morris, and I think the way they're going to play all season, if you're a Kentucky fan, I don't see how you can miss a minute of, of the way this team plays. Uh, be it the way they're, they're – I think they're going to shoot the basketball or just Severe Wheeler or Oscar or, or now Damian Collins and the way the, – the things that he did the other night. Uh, it's, I, th- I think it's must-see TV, and, and it, it hasn't been, frankly, uh, for a lot of the, the past few seasons. So that, that's one big takeaway. And then, you know, from an individual perspective – um, you know, the, the stuff that Oscar's doing, it's, it's just amazing to watch him and the way he plays without fouling people was the biggest takeaway for me. Like just the way he goes after basketballs and loose balls and, and any ball and is able to get it, uh, and, and not commit fouls and somehow come up with it, uh, has, has just been amazing to watch severe has been, you know, I think if he, which he's done for the most part is if he doesn't try to hunt his own shots and he spends more time trying to set up teammates and and making those good passes and and kind of discombobulating the defense uh, with this team and the shooters, I think they have, uh, I mean, he could be, you know, you'd almost expect him to average 10 assists per game. Um, And then, you know, Damian Collins, uh, I think the first two games are kind of a perfect uh, example of what we've kind of been writing about for the past few months is he's going to have games like Duke uh, where he maybe even doesn't play, although I don't know if that's going to be the case so much anymore. Right. But he's definitely going to have games like Robert Morris where you're still trying to recover from the last highlight dunk and he throws one down that's that's even more uh, incredible and, and the block shots and and uh, just the, the X factor that he gives you in the paint, um, especially playing alongside a guy like Oscar, that other people can make mistakes or or other people, you know, guys can get past the guards on the perimeter. And if you have somebody like him there to clean it up, uh, I think he's I think he's going to cause a lot of damage down there. You know, it's funny, you mentioned that about that. Well, you know, they, they were hard to watch the last couple of years or whatever. You know, the uh, and obviously Robert Morris is not a very good team, but they scored 100 points against Robert Morris. I looked it up uh, the other day, and I'm looking at it again here now. And Cal's first three seasons, uh, you're talking about the the 09-10 season, 2010, 2011, 2011 to 2012, the championship season, they scored 100 or more points eight times. They've scored uh, since then – I think that's right. Let me double-check my figures here. Yeah, eight times. Since then, they've only scored 100 points nine times. And the other night against Robert Morris, the 100 points, that was the first time since November 26th of 2017 that they scored 100 points. And uh, so I do think that this team, I know, Robert, like I said, the competition with Robert Morris is not very good, but just to have the capability to finally score 100 points when you haven't done that in a while shows that this should be has the makings of being a much better offensive team than we've seen the last couple of years. Yeah. I think it just has all the ingredients of the teams that, that, uh, you know, all basketball fans, but Kentucky fans particularly like to watch. I mean, we know Kentucky fans like to see three point shooting. They're shooting almost 50. It's two games, but they're shooting almost 50%. And Dante Allen's barely played. CJ Frederick's not going to play, uh, you know, Grady Mintz, these guys are knocking down shots and they're getting open shots to knock them down, which has also been a problem in the past. Uh, they like to see guys hit the floor and save the loose ball and fight for the, I mean, you got Oscar 
Shibwe. It's just unbelievable. I mean, you know, people are already talking about him like he's their favorite player in years because the way the way he's playing and, and just the way he plays 100% of the time. Um, and then you've got, you add in uh, Ty Ty Washington. We still haven't seen what, what he's capable of. Uh, he's going to have games where he just goes out and wins basketball games, frankly, for Kentucky. And then Damian Collins, it, knowing at any moment Damian Collins can do Anthony Davis type stuff. And I'm not calling him Anthony Davis, obviously, but he's capable of making plays like that. It seems like at any time, uh, you gotta, you gotta watch. I mean, you, you just, you have to pay attention and, and they're going to be fun to watch and there's, there are going to be hiccups and I'm sure they're going to lose a game in the SEC schedule and score 58 points or, you know, come out against one of these teams in November and, Nelson. and not look so hot, but, uh, <laughs> they'll say, I told you Ben Roberts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, for the most part, I just, I, they're, they're kind of making, they're making everything fun again. And, and I think even when they were winning games these, these past few seasons and getting close to the Final Four, especially early in the season, it just seemed like such a slog against a lot of these teams. And they were they were young guys trying to find their way and missing shots and just ugly basketball. And um, there's going to be some of that, but I think for the most part, it, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. One last thing before I let you go: What about not having C.J. Frederick? How much do you think that hurts his team or? Could you make the case, well, they never really had him in the first place because he wasn't able to practice and play with this team, so they're not really missing anything by not having him? Yeah, I think you can definitely make that case. And it was getting, I mean, by, you know, we were hearing things behind the scenes, but by the time we got to media day and Cal said that about, like, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't, pra- he hasn't practiced at all. Right. Um, he came out and tried to practice, and I told him, go sit down because you're not ready to practice. I think by that point, a lot of us kind of seeing how things have gone in the past thought maybe CJ Frederick, if he plays at all this season, um, isn't going to be as big of a factor on this team as maybe we thought he was six months ago. And obviously this was a separate injury that has caused uh, him to seemingly miss, miss the season. But I think knowing who else was on the roster, knowing that those players on the roster had been practicing all summer and all fall, and knowing how Calipari works things, uh, I think it was safe to assume that, that CJ just wasn't going to play a big role on this team, no matter what. Um, so, yeah, I think, obviously, you know, his minutes had to come from somewhere. Maybe Dante Allen gets more opportunities as a result. Um, you know, Davion Mintz is the leading scorer and three-pointer on last season's team and looks like the fourth guard on on this team. He plays a lot more, and, and he can bring that senior leadership and and – um, you know, he's, he's comfortable and familiar with John Calipari and knows what he wants out of his players. So I think that, especially in late game situations or close game situations, that's going to be a really important thing for them to, to have on the court. So, yeah, I mean, I, it's obviously not a plus when you lose a player, of the caliber of, of CJ and obviously a shooter, the, the caliber of CJ, but the way this roster is constructed and, and kind of the way the summer and fall was going, I don't know how, how big of a minus it is, you know, relative to, to realistic expectations. Yeah, I feel sorry for CJ. I mean, he came back to play uh, in his, you know, where he was such a great high school player and to play for Kentucky. Now he's going to have to put that off for a year, but uh, uh, we'll, we'll see how, how it plays out. And I think they've shown, too, they've got other three, as you mentioned, they're shoot, after two games, just two games, small sample size, but they're certainly shooting the three out 
a whole lot better than they shot it at any point last year. So uh, they've got other guys, I guess what I'm saying is they got other guys to make up for his absence uh, or capable of doing that. So, uh, okay, well, uh, Ben, like I said, like we said earlier in the podcast, we got the big announcement coming on Saturday. What's the best way if you, if you do not accept – Reed Shepard's invitation to come down to North Laurel personally. I'm not talking about you, but as a UK fan, what's the best way to follow uh, uh, follow his announcement and the coverage of his announcement on Saturday? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll be there, and I don't know if we're going to have any sort of live video element or what they're what they're uh, you know what they're planning for that. But I'm sure I'm sure there will be some sort of live video on on Twitter and on social media. And then obviously Reed, uh, I know he's sounds like he's going to take questions for about 15 minutes there in the gym and then maybe talk to him some off to the side of his dad will obviously be there as mom. So I'm sure there'll be a lot of, a lot of different people talking throughout the day uh, about his, um, about his commitment and about his future plans. And, and uh, we'll, we'll see. And if it's Kentucky, I'm sure there's going to be a whole lot of excited people in that gym. Absolutely. So be sure and follow Ben on Twitter at Ben Roberts HL. Be sure and follow him on uh, at Kentucky.com and the print edition, the Arrow Leader. And be sure and follow his next Cats blog. Check that out as well. Ben, we always appreciate you being on the podcast, and we look forward to your coverage on Saturday. All right. Thanks a lot, John. Okay, that'll do it for this edition of the John Clay Podcast. My thanks, as always, to friend of the pod, Ben Roberts. Follow Ben on Twitter at Ben Roberts HL. Check out his Next Cats recruiting blog. He always has a lot of great information and links on there, news about Kentucky basketball recruiting, so check that out as well. You can, As I said earlier in the podcast, you can follow me on Twitter at John Clay IV. Uh, send me an email, jclay at herald-leader.com. Uh, appreciate any feedback about the podcast. As I said, Reed Shepard making his announcement at 9 a.m. on Saturday. We'll have plenty of coverage leading up during and after that as well. A couple of U.K. basketball games this week, Mount St. Mary's, as I said, on Tuesday night, and then Ohio University. And Ohio is off to a 3-0 and start. They're a pretty good team. That'll be an interesting game on Friday. And then we have the football Game Saturday, UK and New Mexico State. I'll have a podcast with Josh Moore a little later in the week previewing that game as well. Again, thanks to everybody for listening. We'll catch you next time on the John Clay Podcast.